Editorial Note on St. Thomas and the Immaculate Conception Of Summa Theologica Tertia Pars Treatise on the Saviour This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Summa Theologica Tertia Pars Treatise on the Saviour by St. Thomas Aquinas Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province Editorial Note on St. Thomas and the Immaculate Conception The privilege of the Virgin Mother of God and the supreme prerogative of her Son may be seen from the following diagram. The following content was presented in the form of a three-column table in the original. Column 1 under the law, all descendants from Adam spring from Adam materially and seminally. The body lies not under the guilt but under the effects of original sin. The stricken body dispositively causes the soul to contract the guilt of original sin. The soul at the moment of union with the body contracts the stain all contract both debt and stain all need a redeemer to destroy the stain contracted column two partially exempt from the law privilege of immaculate conception spring from adam materially and seminally the body lies not under the guilt but under the effects of original sin the stricken body would have dispositively caused the soul to contract the guilt of original sin. The soul, at the moment of union with the body, was prevented by the infusion of grace from contracting the stain. Mary contracted the debt, but not the stain. Mary needed a redeemer to prevent her from contracting the stain. Column 3. Wholly exempt from the law miraculous conception springs from adam materially not seminally confer question 31 article 1 his body lay under neither guilt nor effects of original sin the body being entirely free could not transmit the stain to his soul no preventive grace needed jesus christ contracted neither debt nor stain Jesus Christ is not redeemed, but the Redeemer. End of table. It will thus be seen how accurately St. Thomas speaks of the flesh or body of our Blessed Lady. For it should be remembered that, according to St. Thomas, the human body is animated in succession by 1. a vegetative, 2. a sensitive, and 3. a rational soul. Hence his assertion that the flesh of the Blessed Virgin was conceived in original sin, confer question 14, article 3, first reply, means that the body of the Blessed Virgin, being descended from Adam both materially and seminally, contracted the bodily defects which are conveyed by seminal generation, and are the results of the privation of original justice. Question 69, article 4, third reply. 
Before animation, therefore, the body of the Blessed Virgin would not be infected with the guilt of original sin, because privation of grace can only be in that which is the subject of grace, notably the rational soul. Nevertheless, before animation, the body of the Blessed Virgin, being seminally descended from Adam, was such that it would have been the means of transmitting the taint of original sin to the rational soul at the very instant of animation, unless the grace of the Redeemer intervened and sanctified her soul in that same self-instant, thus redeeming her and preventing her from contracting the guilt of original sin. Why then does St. Thomas say that because the Blessed Virgin was not sanctified before animation, therefore she could be sanctified only after animation? Such a conclusion would hold if it were a question of the order of nature. A thing must be before it is such. Prius est esse quam esse tale. And therefore the soul must be before it is sanctified. But if St. Thomas held for a posteriority of time, no matter how short, we ask how it was that he did not perceive the fallacy of the argument, since it might be neither before nor after, but in the very instant of animation. The question is answered thus. St. Thomas, as a doctor of the Church, and in matters which were not then de fide, is a witness to the expression of the faith of his time. Hence his line of argument coincides with, because it follows, that of St. Bernard, Peter Lombard, Alexander of Hales, Albert the Great, St. Bonaventure. It was not likely that St. Thomas would differ from the great masters of his time, who failed to understand that the grace of redemption might at the same time be one of preservation and prevention. Nor is it likely that St. Thomas had any reliable information about the movement in progress at that time towards a belief in the Immaculate Conception. Principally in England, where, owing to the influence of St. Anselm, 1109, the doctrine was maintained by Eadmer, 1137, Nicholas of St. Albans, 1175, Osbert of Clare, 1170, Robert Grostesta, Bishop of Lincoln, 1253, William of Ware, in 1300, who was the master of Don Scotus, in 1308. No doubt he knew something of it, but the names of its promoters would have weighed little with him as against those of Bernard, Albert, Peter, Alexander, and Bonaventure. And it must not be forgotten that among those who upheld the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, not a few ascribed the privilege as being absolute and not one of preservation and redemption. Hence it is that St. Thomas insists on two things. One, that the Mother of God was redeemed, and two, that the grace of her sanctification was a grace of preservation. And be it remarked in conclusion, these two points, so much insisted on by St. Thomas, are at the very basis of the Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. End of Editorial Note on St. Thomas and the Immaculate Conception Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.